We've been looking at the major themes in the book of Proverbs. I hope you've been reading along. I've had a lot of interesting discussions uh, with just different different passages out of there. But today we're we're looking at my space and we're looking at my reputation. We're going to look at how to gain respect. Uh, a while back I got a piece of direct mail and it said, Respect. You deserve it. It's finally yours. And it was uh, for subscribing to a magazine for teachers who incidentally don't get enough respect in, the, in our society. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you know teachers, catch them and let them know that you appreciate the, the work they do. But Rodney Dangerfield, he made a whole career out of, remember his line? I can't get no respect. Can't get no respect. And I think... That respect is one of the deepest desires that we have in, in, in my life, in my space. And to be respected, to be valued, to, to have a good reputation. And I think God says it's okay to be concerned about your reputation. In fact, you ought to be concerned about your reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good reputation is better choice than riches. Esteem is more valuable than money. In other words, your self-worth is more important than your net worth in life. There's kind of a myth today, I believe, that somehow we buy into that wealth, wealth is how we get respect. You know, that that's where people are going to go, oh, I I respect you. And here's the problem, I think. When, When it comes to this thing called respect is most of the time, when we talk about respect, we talk about image. We, we talk about how we appear to other people, uh, how we impress other people. And that perspective, friends, comes up way short when it comes to my space and my life. You know, God's word says you've got to go a lot deeper than that. And I'm going to give you a one-word sentence that kind of sums up the message. And no, you can't leave after I give you this sentence, Okay. But it says, the key to a good reputation is character, not image. Think about that. The key to a good reputation is character, not image. You know, reputation is what other people think you are. Character is who you really are. What you have left when nothing's left in your life. It's those inner attitudes, those inner motives, those inner drives that, that make you, you. And our tendency, again, in our society, is to look on the outside, to look at appearance, look at image, and to get those two confused. And so I want to look at what God has to say. I want us to get a, a real picture of my reputation, you know, your reputation, because Again, I think we are more concerned with my image, you know, what other people think, instead of my character, and that is who I really am. Does that make sense? I mean, we get, we get twisted up here. You know, God, God says character will produce respect. In the book of Proverbs, it's crystal clear that character is core. It's core to building respect in life. And if you pursue character in my life and in my space, ultimately, that's going to make for respect. You're going to watch your self-esteem soar. 
your reputation's going to be going to be good. And if your reputation's good, the result is respect. So I'm going to break this down for us on how do we gain respect? How do we achieve it according to what God has to say? And the fact that I, I talk about achieving respect should give you a hint that it's a choice. It's a choice we make. And the first thing you have to decide is, are you going to speak with integrity in your life? This is a major theme. If you read through the, the book, you'll notice it has a lot to say about integrity in, in the book of Proverbs, that integrity is more important than image, that it's the foundation for everything in your life. Proverbs 17, verse 7 says, Respected people, what? Do not tell lies. In other words, we admire people who tell the truth. Abraham Lincoln, his nickname was Honest Abe. You know, I think about George Washington, and uh, there was always the story that George Washington said, I cannot lie. You know, I chopped down the cherry tree. We, we think that's probably an urban myth, but I think what we should get out of that is whether it took place or not is that it was a way of talking about how honest George Washington was, that, that he was considered honest by, by the people in his time and place. And so integrity. The other day, you know I'm crazy about my grandkids, right? And I, my uh, oldest uh, of the grandsons, uh, Ethan, he was kind of crying a little bit, and he goes, Dason hit me, you know, and his little brothers too. And uh, so we were, we're talking to, to Dason, and we said, Dason, did you hit Ethan? He looked up. I said, did you mean to hit him? <laughs> Are you going to hit him again? It was cute. It was cute. He still got busted. But uh, I hope he always tells the truth. I hope he loses the left hook, but I hope he tells the truth. You know, integrity, integrity. You know, Jesus said that, he says, I am the truth. And I want you to notice, he didn't say, you know, I got a handle on the truth. I have the truth. He says, I am the truth. And it's interesting because the, the evil one, the devil, he's called the father of lies. In fact, if you look in the Greek, it's kind of amplified, and it says he's the father of all lies. In other words, when I lie, I'm kind of siding up with the devil. You know, I'm kind of joining his camp. You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Integrity, it involves, it involves more, though, than honesty. It involves dependability. And, and hear this, because this is where I think a lot of people get tripped up. The, the fact is that we, we think, okay, it's just about being honest, but it involves dependability in our lives. In other words, what you say in your life, do you follow through with it? You know, Proverbs twenty-five fourteen says, like clouds and wind without rain is the person who talks big but never produces. You ever met someone like that? Talk big, make a lot of promises, but never follows through. Maybe, maybe they, when they said it, 
they meant to, but they just never get around to it. And I want to suggest that maybe when they said it, they really had no intention of keeping their word. I mean, think about some of the common phrases that, that we use. I'll get on that right away. I'll, I'll see to that myself. Checks in the mail. I'll return it as soon as I'm done with it. Still waiting. I'll pay you back as soon as I get paid. I'll be home at 6, honey. Wish we could have been at your party, but we had something else going on. You know, I'll take you fishing someday, son. Uh, We're going to get involved in church soon. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Napoleon said this. He said, promise everything, deliver nothing. He would have made a great politician. You notice the result of integrity. Proverbs 10, 29. It says, a person of integrity walks securely. Reliability, dependability, produces stability in life. It, it gives you the confidence to move forward. When you have integrity, you don't have to have a good memory. You don't have to remember the lies that you've told. You don't have to play what I call the makeup game, you know, cover up. You don't have to. So evaluate yourself on this one. You know, how honest am I? And then get real specific. How honest am I with my spouse? How honest am I with my kids or my competitor? How honest am I with God? Can I be counted on? Do I say what I mean? And more importantly, do I do what I say? Proverbs 3, 4 says, Earn a reputation for living well. What kind of rep are you earning? And we do earn them, by the way. Here's the second thing. Serve with passion. You want a good reputation? Serve with passion. Be eager to to help other people. Be enthusiastic about doing good. Be interested in serving other people in your life. Proverbs 14, 22 says, You will earn the trust and respect of others if you work for good. See, we live in a world that has turned everything upside down. This me, my, meistic mentality, we've talked about that through this whole series, that it, it kind of rules in our society. And it changes the way we approach life. If you, if you think about it, you know, the first thing we ask is, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? And, and few ask the question, what can I give? You know, and, and that meistic mentality has impacted our world in a very negative way, I think. I mean, think about it vocationally. You know, how many times in offices across America do do we treat work like this? We go, what can I get? You know, what's in it for me? Instead of what can I give? You know, how can I give to to the company or to to the people that I serve? In, In just about every arena, if you go down through it, that's the first thing we ask. What's in it for me? It's even infected the church where people go, you know, what am I going to get out of church? Now, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to to ask that. I mean, hopefully you leave and and you go, you know what, I got something out of that. But that shouldn't be our first place. You know, what can I give to God? You know, worship, it's not about getting. 
It's about giving of ourselves. You know, last, last week uh, we gathered with a lot of the volunteers from the church, and I just get totally amazed at people that are, are gladly given of their time and, and their talents, you know, that are serving with, with a passion, that are making a difference. I mean, I, making a difference in the River Bend area and places all around this planet. You know, people that are, are joyful. And I think, as I, I talk to people in the community, Faith Fellowship is getting a reputation for being people that give of themselves, that, that are excited about helping other people. You know, Jesus says, if you, if you want to be great, learn to serve people. Not a popular concept today. Living for others. Here at this church, we talk about living beyond yourself. You know, we talk about it. it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about other people. And we talk about, you know, making a difference. Living outside of ourselves. You know, I talk to kids a lot, and all the years I've asked kids, like, you know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've never had a kid come up and go, I'd like to be a servant. You know, I always liked what Mother Teresa said. She said, it's not what we do that matters, but it's how much love we put into it. See, whatever it is you do, you know, that's your vocation. God, God has placed you there. That's what God has put you there for. But the question is, in your vocation, okay, do you do it with love? Do you, do you give your heart to that? Serve with intensity. Proverbs eleven twenty seven says, if your goals are good, you will be respected. What's the secret of success? Well, I think it's finding a need in this world and beginning to fill it. Plugging in and making a difference in other people's lives. You know, finding a way to to help people. And I've said this before. I do not believe there's such a thing as great people. I think it's just ordinary people that decide to leverage their life and commit themselves to great causes. You know, when ordinary people do that, when they commit themselves, there you find greatness. You know, it's bringing greatness out of their life because they're connected to something. What are you living for? What are you living for? If your goals are good, you'll be respected. I mean, what are your goals in life? Is, Is it just about, you know, yourself? What's in it for me? Is it, oh, I gotta make a lot of money. I wanna be famous. Or are your goals bigger than that for your life? Are they much broader? You know, what's your dream? You know, I've said before, if you don't have a dream, you're just drifting. Life will become monotonous. And if you're just dreaming, but you're not moving toward it, you're just kidding yourself. You see, if your goals are good, honorable, you're going to be respected in life. So evaluate yourself. We, we respect people that are heading in a direction, that, that, that have a purpose in their life, that are unselfish in how they live. And again, actions speak louder than words. You know, if I had to pick the Achilles heel of, of church in, in general, is lots of talk and no action. You know, do our words match up How do you rate yourself when it comes to service? Are you living beyond yourself? What are you doing with your life? 
I saw a great plaque the other day. It said, great occasions for serving God seldom come. But little opportunities surround us daily. Something to think about. Are you living beyond yourself? Are you sharing with generosity? People who are respected, if you take a look throughout history, there are people who are generous. They're generous with their life. Proverbs 11.24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Anybody interested in having a larger life? You know, it's one of the areas I want to go supersize me, please. Yeah. I want a big life. I want a life that, that matters. You know, if, if you want that kind of life, then you've got to begin to live outside yourself. The one who gives generously to the needy and shows kindness will be powerful and respected. If you want power, if you want respect, be generous. Again, it's living beyond ourselves. It's stretching ourselves. I was reading about the life of uh, Andrew Carnegie uh, the other day, and it said when he died, they were going through his desk, and they ran across a slip of paper in which he had written the goals for his life when he was like in his 20s. He just sat down and wrote them. He said, I'm going to spend the first half of my life accumulating money. I'm going to spend the second half of my life giving it all away. And that's exactly what he did. And if you think about the era in which he, he was uh, you know, around and giving his money away, he gave over, away over $450 million in his lifetime. Now, now I want to kind of match that up with some of the wealthiest people in the world at that time. In 1923, a, a group of seven men got together in a hotel in, in Chicago and they made headline news. They, they were some of the most successful financiers in that day. And they met in the Edgewood Beach Hotel in Chicago. And so these seven guys, and just to give you a perspective, they had more money than the entire U.S. Treasury. Think about that. Now, the media kind of fawned over, over these guys, and, and they urged youth to follow the example of these men. So I want to run the clock forward now. The first guy was Charles Schwab. He was president of the largest independently owned steel company at that time. Get this. The last few years of his life, he lived on borrowed money. And the last five years, he was basically broke. He died almost penniless. You know, Arthur Cooten, uh, considered one of the, the great speculators of markets, he died bankrupt. Richard Whitney, uh, president of the New York Stock Exchange, spent the remainder of his life in Sing Sing. And that's not American Idol, by the way. It was prison. Albert Falls, member of the president's cabinet, spent most of his life in prison. Uh, he was finally pardoned so he could go home and die. You know, Jesse Livermore was one of those guys, stock trader, considered maybe the greatest bear on the market ever. He committed suicide. Leon Frazier, president of Bank of International Settlements, committed suicide. Ivor Kruger, Swedish financer, uh, he was called the uh, match king. He had a monopoly, basically, when it comes to matches. 
And uh, he was considered one of the wealthiest men in Europe, which that's big-time wealth there, committed suicide. Now, the reason why I run through that is all those men knew how to make a living, but they failed to make a life. And what is amazing, with the exception of Charles Schwab, I bet you didn't recognize one name on that list. Yet those seven men had more wealth than the U.S. had in its treasury at that time. All contemporaries of a guy by the name of Carnegie. Why do we recognize Carnegie? Well, friends, I would argue because people remember and honor people that live beyond themselves, that give themselves away. And I think that's why we recognize the Carnegie name. You know, Bob Hope said one time, he says, if you don't have generosity in your heart, you got the worst kind of heart problems. So evaluate yourself with this. When it comes to, to generosity, Proverbs 11.25, it says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, that's a paradox. The more you give away, the more that comes back. It's kind of like giving blood. You can give your blood away, but God just restores it. And if you haven't figured this out, something I've figured out about life is I can't outgive God. I can't outgive God when it comes to my time, my money, my efforts. It doesn't matter because God just restores. It comes back. It gets larger and larger. Evaluate yourself. What kind of giver are you in life? You know, I heard one time there are three kinds of givers. And they classified them by flint, sponge, and honeycomb. And a flint giver is you got to hammer it. You know, and what happens when you hammer flint? You get a lot of sparks. You ever known someone that that's how they give? You, you really got to hammer them. You know, or the sponge, you got to squeeze it. And the more pressure you apply to the sponge, the more you get out of it. Or you got a honeycomb that kind of overflows with sweetness. What kind of giver? Again, directly connected. We don't think about this often, but directly connected to my reputation. And then if you put those three things together, I want to suggest, lastly, that you succeed with humility. Succeed with humility. You know, Proverbs uh, 29, 23 says, Arrogance will bring your downfall, but if you're humble, you'll be respected. My grandpa used to say, He'd say, stay humble or you'll stumble. Pretty good advice. I mean, how many of you have ever seen someone's life ruined because they were successful? Let's ask a more important question. How many of you think success would ruin you, would trip you up? It's kind of like the two Texan ranchers that are sitting around and kind of bragging and one up and one another, and uh, one of the guys finally goes, so what's the name of your ranch? And he said, well, it's the Flying W, Circle C, Rolling R, Rocking B, Silver Spur, Rainbow End Ranch. Wow, what a name. You, you must have a lot of cattle. He says, no, not really. Very few of them survived the branding, you know. The Bible says that we're to clothe ourselves in humility. 
When, when you clothe yourself in humility, friends, you're dressed for success at that point. I mean, in this society, we are so into power shoes and power suits and ties and accessories and all this stuff. But Scripture says, if you really want to get it right, clothe yourself in a thing called humility. Proverbs 18.12 says, pride first, then the crash. But humility is a precursor to honor. 16.18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Again, if you're not humble, you'll stumble in life. And it's ironic that we think the way to be respected is, get this, pretend to be perfect, pretend to have everything together, put on an image, success, perfection, doesn't matter if you really are, but try and look like that. And, and we think if we dress right and look right and have the right things around us, again, Image, image. And God says, you know what? Not only does that not work, God says it'll work against you ultimately because humility is what's attractive. Humility brings true respect. People stand in awe when someone is able to accomplish but stays humble. Proverbs 27, 21 says, praise is the test of character. Every time someone compliments you, you ought to think, this is a test. This is a test. I mean, how do you handle praise? You know, someone said, uh, praise is like bubble gum. You ought to enjoy it, but never swallow it, you know? And that's true. Now, do not misunderstand me. Humility, some people get the wrong idea, and they they think humility is like walking around going, you know, I'm no good, and I'm lousy, and I'm just this horrible person. And, and in their mind, they think that's humility. That's not humility. Humility is not denying your strengths. It's not denying your strengths. You, you, you have to understand that you have strengths. But remember who gave them to you. Humility is being honest about who you are, really. It's recognizing your weaknesses, your strengths, what God's done for you, what other people have done for you. In other words, you can't take credit for everything. It's not all about you. And in fact, there are a lot of things that are really just beyond our control. You know, we just stumble into sometimes. Galatians 6, 4, it says, everyone should test their own actions. Then they can take pride. Get this then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Take pride. I thought, And you're sitting there going, but I thought you said we're not to take pride. No, we're, we're to take pride in the things that we have control over. For instance, you ought to take pride in developing godly character. You ought to take pride in striving to raise your family in the faith. Humility, again, doesn't mean that we ignore our successes. It just means that you share the credit, that you realize that without God, it's a bust. You, you succeed with humility, and you'll be respected. Again, evaluate yourself. I mean, do you secretly, all right, don't raise your hand, but do you secretly feel like you're better than other people? Share credit. Share credit for your successes. Get a handle on, on things. Proverbs 10.7 says, Good people will be remembered as a blessing, but the wicked will soon be forgotten. 
I mean, what do you want to be remembered for? Let's ask a more pointed question. What will you be remembered for? What what are people going to remember about you? What are people going to say about you? Parents, you know, what, what are your kids going to remember you for? Are they going to remember that you were never around or that you were always there? Are, are, they, are they going to, you going to be remembered for having a temper or, or being patient with them? Uh, for being unreliable or consistent? For being moody or steady? For never being content or someone that was satisfied with whatever they had? I mean, what are, you, what are your friends going to say about you? What are your coworkers going to say? What are people in the community going to say? What are, what are people in the church going to say? I mean, I, I think, wouldn't it be great if when we die, that people are going around going, you know, it was a blessing to know him. It was a blessing to know her. They, they had such a great influence on my life. I am thankful to God that they were part, that our paths crossed. And friends, It can happen because it's a choice we make. It's a choice. Again, character. Character is always a matter of choice. How we live is a matter of choice. You know, your character, which brings respect, is determined by the choices you make on a daily basis in your life. See, you can't control circumstances in your life. You can't. Things happen. Things spin out. Things become problematic. But you know what you can control? Your character. Your character. Image. You can change it overnight. I mean, just ask someone that runs political uh, arenas, you know, or drives campaigns. That's a, we can change an image overnight. But character... It's a lifetime of developing. And and so my question to you is, what are you more interested in, image or character? In fact, if you want to get at it, ask yourself a couple questions, and it'll tell you which way you're leaning. You know, what is your first thought? What will people think? What will I look like? What, what, What will they think about me? Or is your tendency as you live life, to say, I wonder what God thinks. Because those take you two different directions. Romans 8, 29 says that God's purpose for our life is to make us like Jesus Christ. In other words, God wants to develop in us a character that's like Christ. And God will use all your circumstances, everything you've ever been through, good, bad, ugly, and will use those things to develop your character Jesus is our model here. See, Jesus spoke with integrity. He served with intensity in his life. He shared with generosity. He always had time for people. He succeeded and was humble. Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. It's the exact opposite of what society says. What's in it for me? That philosophy, friends, if you live with what's in it for me mentality does not bring fulfillment. It will not build your self-esteem. It will not result in respect ultimately. I I think one of the toughest things for for Christians, 
those of you that have taken that step and given your life to Christ, one of the most difficult things in life, it's not serving God. We kind of wear that like a badge of honor. You know, I'm serving God. No, the problem is serving other people. That's humbling. It breaks your spirit sometimes. It's not easy. I mean, how do you know if, if you're a servant and you have a servant's heart? That one's simple. How do you react when people treat you like a servant? I like serving God. I just don't want people treating me like a servant. And I got a newsflash today. You cannot serve God without serving other people. It's just that simple. I'd invite you to make a radical change in your life. Resist going with culture, with this what's-in-it-for-me mentality. You know, this me, my, meistic mentality. And to adopt Jesus's. I came to serve, not be served. And friends, when you give your life to that, you find meaning, you find purpose, significance, self-esteem, and you find respect. What kind of reputation do you have? It's your choice. It's in your ballpark. As I tell the guys a lot of times, ball's in your court. You get to decide, and then you get to live it. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Remind you uh, as we're singing this last piece that... uh, We'll be celebrating in communion immediately following that. So um, we just um, let God speak to you this evening. Let's bow bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. God, I pray that when it comes to reputation, God, that it doesn't matter what the world thinks. doesn't matter what kind of image we try and create. God, help us to understand that's not what really matters. The character is what matters. That what you think should have first place in our life. God, I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds. God, help us to be people with good reputation. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.